Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. What does it take to become the fittest woman on the planet? Strength, endurance, toughness, sure. But if a recent CrossFit Games video is to be believed, it also takes a willingness to involuntarily urinate during workouts. In a three-minute video posted to YouTube that received more than 200,000 views in its first month, the CrossFit Games media team attempts to destigmatize and bring to light a problem that affects a large number of women and even men. That's noble. But by offering a montage of women looking into the camera and proudly admitting that they pee during workouts, the video goes so far as to glorify urinary leakage and to suggest that women are helpless to avoid it. In today's episode of Move Forward Radio, physical therapists Julie Weeb and Jill Boisenault react to the video and deliver a message that's much different. Urinary leakage is common, they agree, but it's not normal or unavoidable, even for women who have had children, and it can be treated with targeted pelvic floor exercises. This is a frank conversation, and it needs to be. As many as one in three women are thought to experience some kind of urinary leakage, and that number may be higher amongst athletes. Women of all ages and athletic abilities, and men too, are encouraged to not only listen to this podcast, but to share it, in the hopes that awareness of stress-induced urinary incontinence might one day be as prevalent as the condition itself. As always, input from our guests is for informational purposes only, and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. With that, here's our interview with Julie Weeb and Jill Boisenault. So one month ago, the media team for the CrossFit Games posted a video to YouTube with a very straightforward title. It said, Do You Pee During Workouts? The video begins with the sound of someone urinating, and it includes several shots of puddles of urine on the CrossFit competition floor. It also includes a montage of women admitting in interviews that, yes, they pee during workouts. In the CrossFit video, they playfully call this condition EIUL, Exercise-Induced Urinary Leakage. Julie, what do you call it? We tend to call it stress urinary incontinence, but it was a descriptive term, that's for sure, and communicated well to the audience that this was something that occurred alongside exercise. But that is not the typical terminology that we use. We do like to call it stress urinary incontinence. And Jill, even beyond the terminology, when you hear something like that, is it oversimplifying it? Is it dysfunction even beyond that? Is it something that we can't see as something cute? Sure. Well, I certainly don't think of it as something cute, and that was, I think, what most people objected to in the whole YouTube video was that it was making light of a situation that really is something fairly serious, and lots of women and some men struggle with stress urinary incontinence, and making it sound like it's a normal part of life was a very distressing piece. The other part that isn't exactly correct in their notation of this as EIUL is that stress incontinence can happen with other kinds of forceful activities or physical exertion besides exercise. Probably the most common one that most women are familiar with would be losing some urine with coughing or sneezing. And I'm not saying that all women would lose urine with coughing or sneezing, but that's a common kind of opportunity for loss of urine and part of the picture of stress incontinence. 
So in the most generous light, that cross video is attempting to be empowering. It's trying to eliminate shame around this exercise-induced urinary leakage, as they call it. It's trying to encourage women to not let a little involuntary urination keep them from working out and try to be fit. And I suppose from that angle of approach, it's somewhat noble. But Julie, as you wrote on your website, in doing so, it kind of also turns peeing during workouts into a badge of honor. It makes it seem like it's a signifier of how hard you're working and your dedication. And maybe even more alarming than that, it suggests that peeing during workouts is pretty much unavoidable. So before we go any further, is exercise-induced urinary continence, is stress-induced incontinence an unavoidable reality for women? Absolutely not. I think one of the, the things that as a community we need to look at is that there are women that participate in fitness after babies, after issues that would potentially cause something like stress urinary incontinence, but they participate at a high level full on without incontinence. So it is not a norm that you would be incontinence while you do fitness. And I think that that message is one of the ones that we need to be sure is really clear. And so, no, that is not a normal piece of the puzzle with fitness, uh, nor should it be. And I think we need to also distinguish between normal and common. It is a common result of exercise for some women, but it is not normal. And that's the message that we need to try to, to tweak a little bit there. And is it more common for women who have had children? There does seem to be a correlation with that or a, a relationship there, and that women who have had children tend to have more vulnerability to it. We know that both in the general population, but then we need more research to understand how that then plays out in the fitness once they move into fitness after they've had children in terms of true statistics. But yes, there does tend to be more of an issue when they have had children. But that is not the only reason. I mean, there's plenty of people that participate in fitness and or don't who have had incontinence issues. You don't have to have a baby to have incontinence. And so, Joe, what would some of the other potential, maybe cause is the wrong word, but you mentioned activities that might bring it on, but what's the spectrum for somebody who might have stress-induced urinary incontinence? Sure. There is more and more research showing that women, as Julie said, who have never been pregnant experience stress incontinence when they exercise or when they do something like cough, sneeze, jump, just run after something, and these women really don't have a precipitating cause necessarily. They ne they didn't have a surgery that led to this or have some sort of insult to the pelvic floor muscles, but there seem to be a group of women that have an inherent weakness in some of the structures anatomically around the urethra, where the urine comes out, the muscles of the pelvic floor, which hold up our bladder and our other pelvic organs and sometimes seem to be missing the reflex that should occur when you have that increase in pressure from the cough, the sneeze, or the jump, or the run, and that reflex is supposed to be there to tighten up the sphincter of the urethra and hold back the urine. And for some people, they just never seem to have developed that very well. It's surprising, really, how many people admit to having some stress incontinence when they are doing high-level fitness activities, as the women in this video did. But Julie very aptly mentioned that it may be common, it isn't normal. And there are some things that we can do to change that in women who have incontinence when they exercise or when they cough or sneeze. Before we get to that, Julie, tell me a little bit about the poll you conducted at your website. 
Well, I worked together with an Australian physio, whose name is Anthony Lowe, to develop a survey when the CrossFit video came out to understand better what's happening within that population. And the uber fit, like the folks that are really challenging themselves with fitness, related to this issue. And it was sort of a unique opportunity because that video went viral. So it was a great chance to try to gather information. The survey, we need to really look at it in terms of understanding that the information only applies to the people that responded. We've seen some really nice trends from the information. We asked a lot of questions and we're still trying to understand better what they tell us, but we can't say this is officially what this survey tells us about this population. But we do have some, not data, but good info from the trends that we saw within the data trying to ask them about not only their experience with incontinence during their exercise programming, but also the behaviors that they do around that, the attempts that they've made not only to treat it, but to avoid it. Things like not drinking before or during exercise exercise, uh, wearing pads during exercise, like what are some of the things that they're doing to try to help control this? Have they sought treatment? How did the treatment help them, et cetera? So those are some of the survey questions that, that we put out there, and we've had over 300 responses and got some really interesting information that I think sort of puts the video in new light, puts the need in new light, and maybe gives us some new kind of ideas on, you know, where we need to be focusing our treatment for this kind of a population, the population that wants to really participate hard in fitness. So we got some great info. What were some of those trends? I mean, what do you see? How common is this problem? Or maybe a better question is, what are common ways that women are trying to get around that problem? Well, just in terms of the prevalence, what we, and again, this is, the information is related to the respondents. We can't extrapolate it totally at this stage of the game. But the general understanding is that one in three women have, have some version of stress urinary incontinence. And like Jill said, it's either cough, sneeze, or it can be with fitness. And that's kind of the national understanding is that one in three women have it. There's been some studies that have shown us that one in two women have it related to exercise. So the, the trend seems to be higher within fitness. In the information we got from the study, 75% of the women leaked with exercise. So, so it seems to be an even higher percentage within this population. Again, this is related just to the respondents, but that's a pretty significant number. And then more what I thought was interesting was about 75% had aches and pains. 65% of them actually went and got treatment for those aches and pains, but only about 20% actually went and got some kind of treatment related to the incontinence they were experiencing. That's 75%. And so there was a real difference in terms of, you know, that understanding that when you have an ache or a pain related to fitness, you would go get that treated. But the women who were having incontinence and men, they didn't seek out treatment at that same rate. They didn't understand that incontinence was a signal, that something was happening within their workout that they needed to manage, and that incontinence, they didn't treat it the same way they would pain. And I think that's a really important takeaway for us, for the, the folks out there doing fitness to understand this is not a normal part of exercise, and we need to treat it like we would an ache or a pain. Like we need to understand that something's wrong with the system that helps us control continence, and we need to treat it within your fitness so that you can that you can return and not be leaking and to look at it the same way we would an ache or a pain. But really one of the big pieces of the puzzle that was so encouraging to me from the information was that when we asked the question, is it a normal part of childbirth that you would leak? Is leaking a normal part of childbirth? Is leaking a normal part of aging? Is it a normal part of exercise? And is it never normal? 55% of the people that responded said it was never normal. Like they got, within this community, they got it's not normal. And only 3% thought it was normal during exercise. So the way the video kind of puts it out there, it sounds like 
the whole CrossFit community thinks this is awesome and, you know, just shows how intense you're working and uh, you don't need to be ashamed. You know, some of that, that sort of a message came through through that video. But the reality is the women and men that responded to our poll, 3% thought that that was normal. And so I think we need to really be careful in terms of how we're interacting with community. Like, this is not considered on the whole something that everyone thinks is fantastic. You know, there's a very small percentage that think that that's just normal. The rest, 80% were really interested in finding out how do we get the pelvic floor into our fitness and try to address the problem. And so those are some of the major kind of takeaways that I got from getting information from these folks. So, Joe, when we're looking at this and we're talking about stress urinary incontinence, I have to feel that part of the problem is it's a helpless feeling. So there's the sense that this isn't right, but maybe a helpless feeling of of how I can prevent this. So first of all, you you talked a little bit about what's happening, but take me through just sort of physiologically what's happening and then the initial ways that a physical therapist or someone would go to overcome that and address the problem. Our current understanding of the mechanism involved in losing urine during these increases in intra-abdominal pressure or these forces that are being sent down upon the pelvis and the structures of the pelvis is that urethra, which again is the tube that leads from your bladder out of the body, which is where the urine flows out, that the urethra needs to be closed off and that closing off happens from a sphincter, the urethral sphincter, and that that pressure that the sphincter exerts needs to be strong enough to overcome the pressure that's being forced upon it. And so in the case of exercise where you're doing abdominal tummy crunches or you're squatting, there's a lot of force on the pelvic floor through the abdominal cavity. And for these women who are leaking, that force is greater than the force that's able to be generated by the sphincter of the urethra. And the pelvic floor muscles play a role in aiding that sphincter to close off the urethra and keep the urine from leaking out. It's not so much that those muscles actually are a mechanism where they close the sphincter off itself. It's kind of a secondary force, and they also are responsible for holding the bladder in a better position to then allow that sphincter to work. And the evidence is very clear that women and men who perform pelvic floor muscle exercises or what oftentimes are called Kegel exercises. Dr. Arnold Kegel gave his name to that group of exercises way back in the 1950s. So people that perform those exercises are able to decrease their urine losses that occur during these activities, or they are able to get rid of the problem entirely. And this depends, of course, on how faithful they are in executing the exercises, and that's a tough thing to overcome sometimes. But in this population, these women who are so involved in fitness, it's just a perfect opportunity to incorporate fitness of the pelvic floor in with the fitness that they're doing for every other part of their body. I think that's the the wonderful thing, if you can say anything is wonderful, that might come out of this video is that this is a group of people who are very motivated to take care of their body, and they just are missing this opportunity right now to think about this particular area of the body that they have the capability to, to get fitter and to work on. So they need some guidance in these workouts on how to exercise the muscles of their pelvic floor. 
One of the other problems related to treatment in this area is that this is not a muscle group like your abdominals or like your biceps in your arm where you can see the muscle as you try to exercise it. So there are some challenges in teaching people how to exercise their pelvic floor muscles, but there are excellent ways to teach people. It just takes some knowledge and know-how about how to incorporate that information into the exercise. And then women and men are able to effectively exercise this muscle group and to make a significant change. The amount of stress incontinence out there is probably really directly proportional to the lack of information and lack of exercise of this body part. And this is a great opportunity for us to spread the word and let people know that if they're thinking about working out their abdominals and their buttock muscles and their other muscles of their body, that this is a set of muscles they can't ignore. And with the evidence so high from Julie's survey and from the response to this video, it's so clear that there's so many people out there that would benefit from doing all of this exercise to the pelvic floor muscles. And if I could kind of add on to that idea a little bit in terms of what we're seeing with the mechanism of incontinence, particularly with some women who have never had babies. Specifically, there's one particular study that found that when women are perturbed, there's some kind of shock to their system, that the postural response from the abdominals and from the pelvic floor, that women who were incontinent in the study, their pelvic floors turned on like it wasn't that they weren't working. It's that their abdominals were actually stronger, like the strength of the ab contraction in response to that postural push was just bigger than the pelvic floor could sustain. And so in terms of treatment and beyond just understanding that we need to get folks to identify the pelvic floor and be able to find that muscle is to understand that it has relationships with other muscle groups like the ab. And it's not so much that we were seeing that the pelvic floor wasn't responding in this particular study. It responded strongly. It's just that it wasn't in the right balance balance with some of the other muscle groups. And so just to add to Jill's message, this is a group of people who love to exercise and all they need to do is be introduced to this muscle group is that they can exercise too. But we need to understand that the interrelationships between the pelvic floor and some of the other muscles that might be contributing to creating a more balanced response from the central stabilizers that we can develop programming around that that would be integrative within their fitness. Like they're already doing work that activates those abs. Let's be sure that we're getting a balanced reaction between the abs and the pelvic floor or not overusing abs or putting the pelvic floor back into the movement patterning that they're doing so that once they've identified it, they can then integrate that pelvic floor and understand that its response is it really needs to be balanced with the other muscle groups and often it's an overuse of other muscles that can overwhelm that pressure system that uh, Jill was referring to, that it's not just that the pelvic floor needs to be stronger, that sometimes the pelvic floor is responding, we just don't have it in balance with the activation of other muscle groups. So there's lots of ways that we can intervene beyond, uh, especially with this kind of population that wants to be fit and use their body in lots of different ways. We can integrate the pelvic floor into those movement patterns and those strengthening patterns and those sport-specific patterns. And, and that's really what we need to be thinking about with this population, too, because one of the responses within the survey, and this is sort of what I see clinically because the, the fit population is the population I treat, is is that a lot of them had tried Kegels and not a lot of them felt like it was helpful. And again, we understand that often they're doing it without education and we often know that they don't really know what they're doing or they can't feel it right or they're not sure. But 
but about 28% felt like Kegels had helped them. I think that within this population, they need training beyond that that teaches the pelvic floor not just about strength, but about how to be used in a coordinated way, in a functional way, in a fast way. Because as it noted in the video, it's really with that jump roping trick they call it double unders, like you have to flick the jump rope twice under your feet before you land again. That's an intense exercise, and it demands from the pelvic floor a impact load, and it demands a quick response like we would expect from plyometrics in the rest of the body. And so we need to teach them not only just isolated, finding the pelvic floor, which Joe pointed out is really critical first step, but then we also need to teach that pelvic floor to jump and load and impact load like we would any other muscle group. And so within this population, that's a direction we need to really focus on is to teach that pelvic floor to do more and to be responsive to the demands that are being put on it with this particular sport and any sport, really, that involves impact loading. You both have mentioned essentially finding the pelvic floor muscles, figuring out what those are, getting in touch with what it means to develop that muscle group. How do you do that? So, Julie, take me through when when you're dealing with someone who's an uber-athlete or not and you're trying to get them to either understand how to do Kegels properly or to do any of these other exercises that may help, how does that process work? Well, the process I take my patients through is, first is identification. I do a lot of work related to not only their perception, but I do palpation externally of what the pelvic floor is doing in response to both their breathing patterns, what it's doing within their fitness, within their standing, squatting, and their movement patterning. And I do that with external palpation. And then also in terms of their perception, and then I take them through actually some visual imagery specifically, and I relate it immediately to integrated is the right word, with their breathing pattern. There's a really nice relationship between the pelvic floor and the diaphragm specifically that we understand. And so really understanding that pattern of on inhale, the pelvic floor lowers, on exhale, the pelvic floor lifts. So not only their perception, but my palpation. And then I also look at it in terms of function. How well is that pelvis stable when they do a squat, when they do a single leg squat, a jump, a land? You know, how well can they maintain pelvic stability, which is sort of how we would evaluate a knee. We would see how it did with squatting or jumping or running or walking. And so I use both those in terms of assessment, in terms of how they're doing with it. And then we do do some isolation work, immediately integrating it with breathing patterning and within alignment. And then we start to move that awareness into movement patterning. So teach them how to get a hold of it, integrate it in with breathing immediately, and then use that as our foundation for any movement. So get that system working on the inside and linked immediately into its functional partners and then move it into movement patterning and ultimately move it into fitness and strengthening activities. And Jill? It's a challenge, as I mentioned, for lots of folks to find their pelvic floor muscles. And there's a couple of tricks that we can use to, to help them. First, visually, it's very helpful sometimes to use a mirror. So you position a mirror around their pelvis and they would be without clothing at this point. And they can do this themselves at the privacy of their own home or they can do it with you in the clinic. And then you're being able to show them what you're expecting to have happen, which would be as they do that contraction, the skin and tissues of their perineum, of their bottom, would retract towards their belly versus bulging out. And this is one of the common mistakes that people make when they try and activate their pelvic floor muscles is they bear down, which is counterproductive to what we want, instead of pulling up. So some people get this immediately. You can tell them to activate those muscles, and they, they, they tighten and retract and lift them, and it's perfect. But lots and lots of people have trouble with this. 
Another cue that we can give them, especially women, is that the sheet of muscle include the anal sphincter. I tell patients to imagine that they're about to have a rectal exam from a gynecologist or a practitioner, and as that finger is approaching the anus, what do you do? And they all smile and laugh, and because what we all do is we tighten and lift the anus because we don't appreciate that finger coming towards the anal sphincter. And as they lift and tighten that anal sphincter, they are contracting that sheet of muscle, the pelvic floor muscles that run from the pubic bone all the way back to their tailbone and up inside the bowl of the pelvis. We'd like them to be able to get that whole sheet of muscle contracted and not just lifting the anus, but it's a good first start for a lot of people. And one of the difficulties that women in particular have with this is that oftentimes they're told they should tighten the muscle that goes around their vagina. The problem with that is that we have very little nerve endings in the vagina itself, and we have very little mapping in our brain of where that body part is, where the vagina is as it's inside our pelvis. So when you tell somebody go ahead and tighten around the vagina, we just don't know how to find that. But we have thousands of nerve endings in the anal sphincter, and it's very sensitive, and we have lots of mapping in our brain of where that is. So if you focus on that initially, a lot of people can begin to get what we are talking about when we say to lift or tighten that muscle group. For men, it's not as difficult. Men have a kind of built-in biofeedback. You can ask most men if they can move their penis without their hands, and they can make their penis go up and down, and most little boys learn how to do that somehow when they're four years old. And men can do that, and when they're doing that, when they're making their penis lift up and down, they are essentially using their pelvic floor muscles. So it's great for a man to get that biofeedback from his own body, but a woman obviously doesn't have that body part to help her figure out how to move this area. So it's a great challenge to teach people how to do this. Physical therapists also use biofeedback, EMG biofeedback, that uses little electrodes that we can place near the vagina or actually there's a kind of electrode that goes inside the vagina. And that biofeedback device picks up the little activity of those muscles and it prints it out or it demonstrates it on whatever kind of device you've got those wires attached to, usually a little handheld device that looks sort of like a Game Boy. And you can use that with a client who's having trouble finding their pelvic floor muscles. And as they contract, you start to see that electrical activity on the screen, and it encourages them. It acts like their cheerleader. It's like, yes, 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 that's it. That's where you want to go. So we have a biofeedback, an EMG biofeedback we can use. There's also some very simple biofeedback devices that can be inserted into the vagina that tell a woman by movement of this simple device that, yes, she's doing the exercise right or she's not. And then there are some more sophisticated kinds of treatments we can do using electrical stimulation through those same electrodes to give the muscle some messages to contract. And that sometimes is helpful for a client to be able to feel, oh, that's what a contraction feels like. And then you can piggyback your exercise, their active exercise, with that electrical stimulation and then wean them off the electrical stimulation and they're able to do the contractions on their own. Now, in this case, I have to think that the words electrical stimulation sound pretty intimidating. So is this a painful experience or no? It doesn't have to be painful, but yes, it is a little intimidating to think, especially in this area of the body, that you're going to put some current in there. 
but it feels more like a buzzing, and the therapist always gradually ramps up the amount of current that's going in, and if it's uncomfortable, then you simply stop. But most people tolerate this very well, and again, we don't use it for a long period of time. It's a form of biofeedback in itself for the client to be able to get to feel what it's like to get that contract. Julie, when we think about these women, especially the uber fit, as you mentioned, who are really active, if someone urinates while they do double unders or they urinate while they do squats, is it good enough to just say, well, I'm just going to avoid that exercise? Or is this indicative of a larger problem? They really just can't keep skipping those exercises that they need to take on. If you're leaking urine regularly while you do any exercise activity, I mean, we can extrapolate this way beyond the CrossFit population. If you're running and you're doing jump roping with your stroller fitness class, if you're experiencing leaking, that is a major signal that something's wrong with the system that helps you maintain your urine. And it's, again, it's not normal. So, yes, I think you should begin to address that situation immediately. And Jill has mentioned a lot of great ways to address that and to begin to address that, and we've looked at a lot of factors that contribute to that. My initial recommendations are usually if you can modify the activity and not create leaks or pain, then we can continue. But if we cannot modify it in a way that eliminates those issues, then we need to stop until we can address the issues, and then we can gradually reintroduce that into your programming. Again, this is how we would treat an ache or a pain in a joint. You know, you wouldn't continue to do a jump roping activity or a plyometric activity if it tore up your knee. You would back off, try to modify the activity, see if you could do it in a way that wasn't painful, and then you would address it and begin to rehabilitate it with the ultimate goal of getting back into whatever that activity was that bugged your knee. Same thing goes with the the ideas about the pelvic floor and incontinence. It's a signal. And if we can treat it that way, if we can understand it that way, then we can develop programming that will not only rehabilitate it, but return people to that kind of an activity. So I think that we do need to look at it as a signal. We need to modify appropriately, but then we also, we need to build a program to help them get back to that. And and that should be our ultimate goal. But one of the major takeaways, not only from the survey, but I think it's something that we understand, this is not a question that people are asking their, their patients that are in fitness, and not just patients, but maybe coaches or trainers like is the activity that they're asking them to do creating leaks like we know to say okay does it recreate your symptoms like your pain symptoms when we ask them to do an exercise but we aren't trained to say is this making you leak and I think that that's something that we as practitioners need to kind of put into our thought process is that in the same way that if we recreated their symptoms with an exercise and we would modify that if we're recreating their leaking with an exercise then we need to address that and understand that so I think that the answer is not clear cut like everyone should stop doing anything that makes them leak um, I think we need to understand why you're leaking we need to address that we need to modify and if we cannot modify then we need to take you off that until we can train you so that you can re- return to that activity. And I would add that one piece that goes along with the actual strengthening and the coordination that Julie was talking about is that if the reflex is absent, that reflex that you need in order to get the pelvic floor to jump in when you have that increase in pressure from an activity, if that reflex is missing, sometimes with some activities you can train people to consciously contract the pelvic floor muscles as they're about to do that activity. So I've had lots of women who have told me they've lost urine as they're playing golf and as they they tee off with their driver. As the driver hits the ball, that's where they lose their urine. So teaching them to contract their pelvic floor before they drive the ball and to time it with the drive keeps them dry and allows them to continue to play. 
So sometimes it's a matter of increasing their awareness and their ability to bring in the pelvic floor contraction as they're about to do other activities, which is also true when uh, right after childbirth, as you're retraining the pelvic floor muscles, lots of women understandably want to get their abdominal muscles back in shape because they're very out of shape after you've had a baby. But we have to caution them that though they may want to go back to activities like curl-ups or other kinds of abdominal toning exercises, that they can't do that until they get their pelvic floor muscles strong, and they need to learn how to re-coordinate their pelvic floor muscles with those abdominal muscles as they go back to retraining both areas, which are so vitally important. You both have illustrated how widespread, how common potentially this problem is, and essentially how potentially simple it is to resolve once you identify the problem and can be put in touch with that muscle group. So where is awareness at this point, do you think, and how do we improve the awareness of this issue so that more women will face this problem and and talk about it and feel comfortable dealing with it? Jill, we'll start with you. Well, this radio show is one way. The wholemovefoward.com website has been wonderful for increasing awareness of a lot of issues that physical therapists can address, but this one in particular. And I think the blogging that's gone on about this CrossFit video has in some ways been a positive thing because it it has brought light to the issue that so many women in particular are dealing with. It has improved over time, the awareness of pelvic floor leakage, um, urinary leakage and pelvic floor muscle training has improved over time. I think back before there were commercials on TV where there was never a mention of urinary leakage, and now it's become very commonplace to see products like pads and so on, even for men, being talked on television. So we've come a long way in that regard. We have also come some distance in having healthcare providers ask about urinary incontinence and physical exams, for example, with primary care providers, but we still have a long way to go in that regard. We don't have a consistency of healthcare providers routinely asking women about urinary leakage in their daily lives, both the stress incontinence that we've talked about and the urge incontinence, the kind of loss of urine where you just can't make it to the toilet in time. Both of those kinds of incontinence are very common in society, and we don't ask often enough. But that said, there has been a significant improvement in awareness, both in the public and in the medical sector. Julie? I think that we absolutely have seen an improvement in terms of women's willingness to talk about it. I think that, you know, like you said, in a really generous light, this CrossFit video is an opportunity to bring something that isn't often talked about to light. That was a huge opportunity for us as a community to start to address this issue, for women to recognize it's not just me. Oh my gosh, all these women in this CrossFit video are leaking too. It's a great opportunity to create communication. And so I think that we are seeing some improvement. I am in social media and on Twitter. And, you know, when I first started on Twitter about four years ago, I would interject about the pelvic floor on all of these conversations on Twitter with other sports medicine or orthopedic PTs and trainers, and I would get ignored, which is kind of funny if you know how Twitter works. But now, four years later, the pelvic floor is the new black dress. It's becoming something that people are recognizing. And I'm not just talking about lay folk. I'm talking about practitioners, that the pelvic floor is a part of our systems. It's part of the core. We understand that now. We acknowledge that. It's a part of all these systems. So there's a new awareness. I think there's a new willingness to acknowledge that and to start to incorporate that. And so I've seen a nice trend over the last four years. Are we there yet? No way. I mean, and this this video kind of really highlights that the CrossFit community, and not just the 
across the community, all fitness communities, trainers, stroller fitness, you know, all of us, coaches, you know, we have to understand and we have to start to investigate this issue as it relates to our female athletes and our female fitness people and men too. We have a lot of places we need to really understand better what's happening. We have new evidence that female fitness folks actually create less vaginal pressure than non-athletes and when they do a pelvic floor contraction. And so we need to sort that out. Like we need to start figuring out more and more how we can help folks that are struggling with this. And I think that that just by turning our focus there with research, with things like the CrossFit video, with things like Jill said, like this radio program, with through blogs, through social media, through talking about it with your friends at the park, it's not normal. It is common. And the really great news is that treatment is available. There are pelvic floor therapists, pelvic health therapists that can begin to help put together your pieces for you. Understand, is your pelvic floor weak or strong? Is it in a a high tight situation? Is it overactive and that's actually contributing to your incontinence? Is it linking well with your abs? Is it working well with your glutes? Are you, what are you doing during your fitness? Like there's people that can take a look and understand better what, how you're using your body and how the way you're using it is impacting your pelvic floor and your ability to control your continence. The best advice I can give is take this chance, take what you've heard either through CrossFit or through a friend at the park and act. I think that's really the message. There is treatment and I think that understanding that there's sort of been a normalcy that's come on this that it's just, oh well, I had a baby, I guess I should leak or, you know, my friend leaks when she jumps rope too. Just because you both do it doesn't mean it's okay. And just because you had a baby doesn't mean you should leak. Um, I think that we need to take that to the next step and understand treatment options are available and they're growing and they're changing and we're learning new things. And we can offer more than kegels to folks. Like we can do a lot to get you moving again. And, And we've got great places to start. But the first step is acting. You have to act and make that choice for yourself to seek help because it's there. It's there. It's available. It's an important conversation. Julie Weeb, Jill Boys and all, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Move Forward Radio. Please help us continue to shed light on this issue by sharing this episode via social media and email. You can learn more about urinary incontinence at moveforwardpt.com. You can read Julie's blog post responding to the CrossFit Games video at her website, julieweebpt.com. J-U-L-I-E-W-I-E-B-E-P-T.com. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.